Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well. well. Doing Good. Well. Yeah. Good. So, um, as we were thinking about uh, creature spotlights, I decided to go for something a little bit broader um, because it's just a fascinating group to me. And this is uh, the, it's actually a kingdom. Uh, but there's a few um, uh, representatives in this kingdom that just really wind my clock. I, yeah. am, I am a fungi file at heart. Yeah. And we, uh, we will talk a little bit about fungi today. Awesome. Um, fungi, uh, if you've had any um, recent biology, you know it's a kingdom and it, it separates itself off from other kingdoms um, by being, well, there's a lot of features that it shares with other kingdoms. It's, um, it's a eukaryote, which means it has organelles uh, and plants and animals are eukaryotes, yep. unlike, and protists, but not bacteria. Um, but it, it, and it is also heterotrophic. Tell me, tell me what, yeah. what are, what are So any Latin is, I think it's Latin. Is that Latin or Greek? Hetero, uh, hetero, hetero is different. When I ask my students, it so break Greek. it into two pieces, hetero and troph. Yeah. Hetero uh, means other or different and troph means to eat or to feed. Right. And so it's creatures that eat others. Yeah. Like us, we love right. to eat others. Yeah, we're heterotrophs. Plants are not, they're autotrophs. Yeah. They uh, make their own food. So uh, fungi, back in the old days, before they split it into several uh, kingdoms, it was just plants and animals. And since fungi grew out of the ground, um, they logically would go in with plants. But um, because they're so fundamentally different yeah, um, and they are heterotrophs, uh, so many ways they're different. They eat, they, they eat other things, mostly dead things. And mm-hmm. we call... Uh, uh, creatures that eat dead things, we can either say scavengers, like a like an animal, but uh, when you're talking about fungi, I usually say saprobes. Yeah, decomposers. Uh, decomposers. Right? So yeah. you've learned that maybe you've learned that word, decomposers. That decompose uh, along with bacteria, all sorts of dead uh, matter, whether it's plant or animal matter, and the f- fungi are are great. Uh, cleanup crew. They just oh, yeah. decompose so much. I mean, if you think of all the leaf uh, litter and bark and dead wood that f- falls to the ground every year, how come it, you know, we're not up to our necks in all of this stuff? I mean, if you've got three, four inches of leaf litter dumped on the ground every year, especially back in the east where it's all deciduous trees, how come it stays that, that, same depth year after year. Well, the fungi yeah. are below it, munching away at yeah. all of this dead leaves. Yeah. So they have a cool way um, of yeah, doing yeah, it yeah, too, tell, you know. So the, yeah, a distinction so of fungus. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about their uh, growth form. Like, yeah, they what, they have a different they? morphology, right? They look a little bit different than most other creatures, and and they like to they grow in they grow in their food, right? We 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 as civilized civilized creatures, we like 
to keep the you know the the kitchen and the other rooms of the house separate from each other. And these creatures, they just grow right in their food. Right. And so they and they call that the substrate. So they they can grow and live inside of a rotten log. They can grow and live in the soil. They can grow and live in a loaf of bread that's been mm-hmm. out too too long. And, and they a... grow with this remarkable. Thin, thin thread-like thin, thin. material we call hyphal cells or hyphae. And right. it's just one cell thick, little threads just filling whatever they live in. Yeah, they just weave their little hyphae all through the... And usually they like it a little moist. If it's super uh-huh. dry, fungi have a rough time of it. Yep. But um, they just weave their hyphae threads through it. And you can... Uh, those of you who've open the fridge of a bachelor pad with, uh, uh, you know, bachelors that aren't up on housekeeping, you might see food that's got a lot of fuzz on it. And you can see- Pet fungi in the fridge. Yeah, the fungi, uh, fungi growing all over their food and mm-hmm. giving it a very fuzzy look. Mm-hmm. And they can be different colors. Sometimes they're white, sometimes they're gray, sometimes they're a bluish green. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are- um, consuming the food. Yeah. Um, they are, what's really cool about how they consume is, you know, when you think of other small cells like amoeba, they engulf their food. It's called phagocytosis. What's interesting about fungi is that they secrete uh, digestive enzymes out of their fungal hyphae. So you've got say, a Golgi body that makes a lysosome. If any of you have learned some cell biology, lysosomes are these little organelles that are loaded with digestive enzymes. And the uh, lysosome then is uh, transported to the cell membrane where it fuses with it. Uh, it's called exocytosis and dumps the, the enzymes out of the fungal hypha it's and, amazing. Yeah. And then it digests the food on the outside of yeah. the hyphae. Yeah. And now that it's digested into its basic building blocks, it can be absorbed through the, uh, the fungal hypha to fuel the growth of more fungal hyphae as they expand their reach. And, um, yeah, they do this so, this extracellular digestion, so yeah, digestion I outside love, the that's cell. That's such and a cool thing. I love it. And Actually, it, we do extracellular digestion just intra in in the body. <laughs> right. I mean, we dump <laughs> right. our enzymes into our stomach and our intestines, yep. and but yeah. So, and I think uh, you know, I think it's really. Um, amazing. You're, I love your chapter on in Ride and the Dance, the, the biology textbook. We were actually just uh, finishing that chapter up this mm. week. And so I love the chapter on fungus. And um, I liken it to, you know- Oh, just liken bad... it? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Most of my puns are accidental. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's not yeah, enough forethought the li- thought lichens actually... are in the fungal yeah. chapter. Um, but we- um, uh, I, I liken it to, uh, you know, uh, digesting before you eat. And mm-hmm. so uh, as opposed to us, we like to eat and then digest. Fungus right. likes to digest first and then to eat. Right, right. Uh, and so they're, they're just, they're filling the substrate with these tiny thread-like cells multiplying like mad. And there's some interesting features about these cells, yeah. about fungus that makes them a little bit different. Yeah. I mean, Robert Hooke would never have come up with the word cell for the first, I mean, there are some fungal hyphae that do have partitions. Right. So they're one cell wide, but some of them have partitions. So you can see a cellular nature to them. 
But then some fungal hyphae, there's there's no cell. I mean, it's just this long, long thread of cytoplasm with nuclei flowing freely throughout the cytoplasm like people in a mall. I mean, it's like, where's the cell? Yeah. It's uh, the whole fungal uh, mass. Uh, sometimes when you think of a, a whole bunch of hyphae that you actually see growing macroscopically, uh, we call that mycelium. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's sort of amazing that, that in some of the different groups, they don't have cells to speak of, not proper cells. Right. Um, but, you know, so. And there's some advantages to that. Yeah. Um, they can move, uh, they can move nutrients. They can move water, uh, very long distances through this mycelium. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, th this, all, this hydrostatic ability or this hydraulic type of ability also allows them combined with combined with the cell wall structure that mm -hmm. fungal cells have, which we'll talk about here in a minute, allows the cells to expand significantly. And, right. and that contributes to this phenomenon of, of going to a forest and then coming back the next day. And then all of a sudden there are all these mushrooms there. Yeah. How do they get there so fast? Yeah. They, and, they pop and right you, up. And mushrooms don't look very fuzzy, but if you look at their structure uh, and you look at the uh, if you do a microscopic examination of the stalk or the cap, it's actually very dense hyphae. The hyphae weave itself, uh, weave together in a very dense mat and form the stalk and the cap and all the gills. But that sort of leads us to the, these fruiting bodies, yeah, um, where most of the fungus is underground and then they sprout these amazing excrescences out of the earth. I don't know um, that word. Um, just things that sort of emerge out huh. of the excrescence. Excrescence. Yeah. That's a and so they, they pop up and uh, for reproduction. And so uh, we can talk a little bit about how fungi reproduce. They form these fruiting bodies and a fruiting body like a mushroom or a, a shell fungus or, or whatever. And then there's a surface on that fruiting body that produces spores. And spores are basically just sort of shrink wrap nuclei with a nice wall that protects them so that uh, it, they're exceedingly small and very light. So when uh, the fungus drops a spore, it can catch a air current and fly for feet to yards to miles to, to ver I mean. Yeah. Up the into, sky's up into the, the limit. Uh, yeah, exactly. The, and literally, way up, this, way uh, up in the in the troposphere, and they can they can get in all the, the way up stream, the jet and stream, and there it goes all the way across the pond. Uh, yeah. Fungi, the fungal spores can can literally travel transcontinentally and land in a different continent without any of our help. Yep, because the fungal spores can get a hit an updraft and go way up there. So they've They've found them way up at 30,000 or more feet. So they can get around. Yeah. But um, I, I wanted to, uh, I don't know if you have any really uh, good examples of uh, fungal dispersal. I've got, I've got I a know, couple. I know, yeah. I know this. You love this topic. I do. Yeah, I'm, it's uh, We did cool. talk about uh, spore dispersal before. I don't mm -hmm. know if we mentioned, if I was just talking about moss and ferns, but 
spore dispersal is amazing in fun, some fungi. Absolutely. And 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 do you have a do you have a guesstimate about how how many spores your oh, typical uh, fungus produces? Oh, it's I mean a mushroom would it, it would be in the I mean, it has to be millions. in the hundreds of thousands to millions, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe even more. Yeah. A big mushroom could, uh, you know, I don't know. But somebody has to count, uh, you know, how many spores on a gill and then multiply how many gills and or a little tiny square millimeter of a gill on the mushroom. How many basidiospores are there? Right. Uh, it's just phenomenal how many. What's really crazy is puffballs. Oh, because I love them. Puffballs, instead of just relegating the spore surface on just the surface of the gills, the whole interior of the puffball becomes uh, basidia and basidiospores. And, uh, and then they form a little hole in the top of the, uh, um, once the spores are ready to go, it forms a little hole in the top that looks kind of like a round volcano. Mm -hmm. And then anything that falls on that puffball, whether it's a stick or a raindrop, then there's this huge poof of uh, spores that get shot out of that hole. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I have got a few puffballs in my fun fungal collection at work. And every year <clears throat> I show I same old puffball and I, I've done it for 19, 20 years. There's still spores. And it just keeps on knocking out spores. Wow. I, I mean, I don't, that's I don't, I hit it a couple times. Yeah. So, so they see the spores shooting out of oh, it. Oh, yeah. But I've punched these things every year <laughs> for a few times. It's one of, it's uh, probably most people's first exposure to fungus is yeah. playing with these puffballs in the yard, kicking them, throwing them at each other. Yeah. We always loved running over them with the lawnmower. Oh man. Just because they'd kind of just blow and explode and then everywhere. The mushrooms, you know, all those gills on the underside have those spores and you can actually cut the cap off if it's a fresh mushroom, cut cut the cap off and stick it on a piece of white paper and let it sit there for a while and uh, you get a spore print. Yeah. Because basically the spores just drop off. And the spores, I mean, uh, if you do the puffball, the spores, when they get shot out, I mean, this is million, probably millions of spores every time they shoot out. It looks like smoke. The, the, the spores are so tiny and yep. small. But there's some pretty amazing techniques of of spores to to get launched, and so I don't uh, I don't know if you have any, but I, I have some other things to talk about. Why don't you talk about okay. the launching mechanism? Yeah, well, there's there's a few very interesting uh, spore um, dispersal mechanisms in fungi. One is um, well, your typical black bread mold. Let me do the typical, and then go to something a little more unusual. Uh, typical. Uh, well, typical for a certain group, not like the, the mushroom group. It's just basically food spoiling molds uh, called the zygomycetes. And they just shoot up um, on the whatever they're growing on. They shoot up these sort of vertical hyphae called sporangiophores. And then they form a knob at the top called a sporangium. Sporangium just simply means a spore container. Yeah, And then... Um, there's a bunch of spores on the top, and then they just get, um, they drift that the membrane just breaks open and the spores just 
drift away kind of like a salt or pepper shaker. I mean, it's not, it's still amazing, but there's not a, any kind of launching mechanism. Right. There's another in the same group, the zygomyces, there's another one called Polobolus. I wrote about it in um, Answers Magazine called Fungus Firearms. And um, <laughs> this, instead of sprinkling spores off their sprangium, the whole sprangium is kind of like a cannonball. And um, they, the hyphae look like, if you zoom in with a magnifying glass or microscope, the hyphae look like blown glass. I mean, just beautiful optics. Yeah. And they, uh, they actually grow often on um, cow and other ungulate patties mm -hmm. and they s shoot up their uh they're 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 basically consuming the cow patty uh before it totally dries out and then they send up their sporangiophores and their optically designed sporangiophores uh cause um as the sun rises over the cow pasture the um the sporangiophores literally point toward the sun because of the light coming in, uh, the light hits their sporangiophore and refracts, kind of like a lens, and causes differential growth to where the whole thing just sort of points to the sun. Kind of like a sunflower. Word. Yeah, kind of like a sunflower. Now, the, the significance of this is that you want to not shoot the, shoot the spores straight up in the air because it come right back down on. But here it's a, a landing it, it, it points to the sun and then it fires it. There's a bulge right below the sprangium that keeps increasing in pressure. And then finally it explodes and shoots the whole sprangium off and can shoot it uh, at 45 miles an hour uh, and shoots it for six feet or so. Yeah. And this is uh, important because cow, the, it needs to get into another cow so it can pass through the gut and then be deposited in another fresh patty. And they need to shoot their sporangium uh, across um, a significant gap because cattle don't like to graze around their own patties. Um, so they shoot it over to some nice fresh grass uh, a couple yards away, and then it gets, uh, and it's, that sporangium sticks on a blade of grass, and a cow comes along, munches it, and starts the whole thing over again. So that's that's pretty. I don't smart. know. I don't know if I talked about that uh, on f uh, spore dispersals earlier, but there you go. Yeah, that's a cool mechanism. We were watching one of Repetition's the videos. Good. So rep, rep, <laughs> review, right? Right. Uh, Palobolus is a really cool uh, creature. We were watching a video of of them shooting off their sporangium uh, in class the other day. Yeah. And someone has put some, you know, kind of fun orchestral music yeah. to one of those videos. It's it's really well done. Yep. Uh, one of the, I, I, I've done, made spore prints with a couple of my sons. We love making spore prints and we are, we're growing shiitakes in the classroom oh, again wow. this year. You can, you can buy these kits for like 30 bucks. Wow. Uh, and there's a ton of them in the Pacific Northwest which is kind of really epicenter for mycology in the U.S. There's a lot of folks at UW studying fungus. Um, Paul Stamets is a really well-known mycologist and kind of an out-there pantheist too. But um, right. And a lot, of the, a lot of fungal folks are a little bit on the odd side. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I love fungus too, but we're growing shiitakes and uh, it's, this, it's this loaf 
I call it the fungal loaf. It's this proprietary blend of of um, alder sawdust and wheat and water, and they make it into this loaf and they inoculate it with spores, and then they just put it on the shelf in the cooler until someone right. buys it. Right. And you buy it and you cut open the bag and you put it um nice. uh, you you spray it with uh, dechlorinated water and you cover it with uh, you put some skewers in it or some chopsticks and you uh, kind of. Uh, coat it with this grocery sack, this plastic grocery sack, and the skewers are there so the the plastic bag doesn't adhere to the to that uh, substrate right. itself, and that gives the fungus room to grow. And Is so it the bags gr- to keep it humid or the what? Ba- yeah, it's kind of like a little growth chamber, okay. so it stays humid in there. And check it twice a day and mist it when needed. And uh, we're on maybe day, we're about day eight or or so. Maybe it's day seven. And those uh, those shiitakes are probably some of the caps are that big now. Oh, nice! That's only a week. Are they a pretty typical looking mushroom? Uh, shiitakes are they really have kind of this this beautiful? They kind of have a deep cap that's almost uh, it doesn't have much of a curve to it at first, but okay. it, eventually it gets a little bit more kind of I, I guess typical looking, and then they flare out a little bit as they okay. age. Neat. Um, but we'll eat most of those. We'll have a pizza party, and then we'll make a keep, save a couple for spore prints. Um, but just watching a fungus grow, I just I just love the shape of them. They're they're beautiful. The, mm-hmm. That stalk or that stipe, and I I, I guess what one of the things uh, I haven't done a ton of research on the on the cellular or the cell wall structure, but one of the things that makes fungus different from plant cells is that mm-hmm. they have this substance called chitin that is a is a significant component of their cell wall structure. Right. There's some other there's some other different compounds there as well, mana proteins and some other things, but um chitin is this polysaccharide. Yeah. It's made of linked sugars and it's it's yeah for, and the T N acetyl glucosamine is yeah. a monosaccharide. That's right. So C eight H thirteen O five N and yeah. so it's a polysaccharide, but it does have a nitrogen on there, which yeah, is interesting. Yeah, that's the N-acetyl. That's a yeah. little nitrogen group on the glucose. That's why it's called glucosamine. Yeah. Because it's got an amine group, which has the nitrogen. But yeah, that's and, pretty molecular stuff. Yeah. And it makes it makes the texture very different. I mean, you know a fungus when you touch one because yeah. they have this kind of rubbery, a little bit rigid. And they have to be rigid like plants have to be rigid because they don't have an exoskeleton or an endoskeleton. Right. So these... That chitin been, yeah. allows the cell walls to to stay erect, right? Um, and it also allows for some expansion when mm-hmm. they're when they're moving a lot of water. Yeah. Well, think about it. The little threads they they need some support because they're they can be pretty tall as they're going up, right? And if they if it's just membrane and no cell wall, um, a thread that thin would just not stand up. Yep. So uh, that gives them some support. Plus, when you look at the shelf fungi growing out of trees, these big half circles growing out of tree, rotten trees or even living trees, um, you've all seen those. Um, they are, uh, uh, instead of gills on the underside, there's all these little tiny holes, tiny holes uh, where the spores the fall spores. out of. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, fungi is turkey tail, uh, which is a common shelf or bracket fungus. Um, and it's it's thinner. It's not one of those big shelf fung- fungi that you can climb the tree with. Some of right, them right. are that sturdy. Um, turkey tail is a little bit smaller, and it has a lot of pores. And you can see those pores really well yeah. under a under a a, a, 
a camera from a smartphone. Smartphone mm-hmm. are really handy when looking at macroscopic type of types of things like right. fungus. Yeah. Um, but that's a you know edible edible mushrooms. I I, I get up yeah. every year or so in the Moscow Mountain. Yeah. And uh, found some coral hedgehog mushrooms. Up oh there yeah, before. coral fungi are really neat. They're uh, neat. I'm, I again, uh, those listeners don't just go off and whack any mushroom down. There's a lot of uh, poisonous ones. Yeah, and You really absolutely. have to know what you're doing. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, I would not trust myself to, um, you know, unless you really, really know, yeah. um, cause there's thousands of different species of mushroom. Um, but there are some edible coral mushrooms. I remember on a backpacking trip up in Northern Washington, uh, it was a big, uh, group of Christian boys and dads and, and, um, uh, we trusted the cooks. Uh, they knew the area, and they were whacking down um, coral fungi and yeah. throwing in our scrambled eggs. Oh and yeah, that was that That's was good, good stuff. It was good. <laughs> yeah, and coral fungi look just like coral. I mean, they just branching coming out of the ground. Yeah. So we're we're talking a little bit about the culinary aspects of mushrooms. I I'd love them all. Um, sauteed or on pizza or oh, yeah, whatever on pizza or, especially. or raw and salad. I'm not a mushroom connoisseur. I like the biology a lot. Plus I like the typical ones that you can buy and eat. But, um, I guess, uh, anything else you wanted to say I've got, um, about mushrooms. Um, I've got, I guess, um, you know, just chitin was interesting. I think yeah. they're the, oh. li- the life cycle is kind of interesting. We yeah, haven't really the, gotten into we don't, that too probably much. don't have uh, time for that, but there, there is, um, one really cool aspect. Um, and that is that, uh, in another group, uh, called the Ascomycota, they, they form this very famous fungus. We might not even know, uh, we just know what it produces. It's called penicillin. Yeah. And, uh, the reason it's called penicillin is because the genus for the fungi is penicillium. And, uh, um, how it came about, um, the discovery of penicillin, just a quick story is that the, um, uh, Alexander Fleming had a, uh, microbiologist in, in England and, uh, one of his Petri dishes he discovered had a mold contaminant on it. And, um, so the hyphae were growing across his Petri dish and he noticed that wherever the mold was growing, the bacteria were inhibited. It's like, hmm. That's interesting. And um, so, and you could probably read, read up on the history of it, but uh, long story short, they realize, okay, this fungus is producing some chemical that's killing bacteria or inhibiting their growth. And so it was, it took a while, took about a decade or more to finally figure out how to mass, produ- mass produce it, which was just in time for World War II. because. Yeah. He discovered this mold contaminant um, in 1928, so 38. So it was just about perfect time and saved a lot of people yeah. because of all of the battle wounds and so, ma- so much bacterial infection. And penicillin was at the time a wonder drug. And, uh, and many, many uh, antibiotics since then have been um, our our analogs uh, that are very similar are in the penicillium or penicillin family yep, uh, and work a lot the same way of inhibiting um, the bacteria's ability to make cell wall. 
the peptidoglycan cell wall of the bacteria, they can't make and um, because of the penicillin. So that's a, a wonderful historical thing about Fungi, absolutely. So, yeah, we we uh, fun, fungi serves us well. Yes. Um, and one of I guess last thing for for me is just to uh, mention this one group of fungi that's interesting. I, I always like going to the fringes where the creatures kind of break the rules we set right, for right, them. Right, right, right. And one of the creatures that breaks the rules we set for them is this. Uh, we we take typically think of fungi as not having any any uh, spores or or gametes uh, that have. Um, that have any ability to move. Um, we don't think of them as typically having flagella or cilia, but this one group of fungus, uh, fungi called the, the chytrid fungus or chytridiomycota, mm-hmm. uh, these creatures actually do have a spore that has a flagellum. And it's in fungi? It's not, it's not an... I'm pretty sure chytrids are still considered part of... Fungi. Kingdom so they fun- are a fungi. So they're not an... Um... They're not a protist because there's some fungal like well, protists. Yeah, I but know. Yeah, we've, that's uh, interesting. The kingdom fungi is still relatively intact. I know we're still fig- sorting out which of those groups belong and yeah. which don't. And I've kind of abandoned the the label protist altogether. Oh yeah, the uh, protists just because, are just a junk drawer, right? And so I I don't I don't think that chytrids are outside of the boundaries of of fungi. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know I could be wrong, well, and it, it probably depends on who you ask as yeah. well. Well, but yeah, these classification, are... it really depends on who's the authority and what, what, what's the characteristic that they're right. hanging their which, hat on. Which one has the buddy at the editorial yeah. board of the journal? Yeah. <laughs> but these chytrids are amazing. And I, I remember in, as an undergrad, uh, there, was a, there, was, there seemed to be somewhat of an epidemic of, of um, where a lot of amphibians throughout oh, the yeah. world, their it's populations were declining. Yeah, it's still happening. And it was purported that that was caused by... It was it was thought that it was some chemical problem, uh, right. chemicals leaching from agriculture into wetlands. Right. Turns out is the spread of these certain chytrid fungi right. that are parasitic uh, parasitic on frogs and, and salamanders. Yeah, they're they get into the skin as and uh, and because frogs and salamanders breathe significantly through their skin, and the chytrid grows through their skin. The the hyphae it just uh, basically compromises, pretty much shuts down their gas exchangeability across their skin and kills them. Wow. And um, it's just uh, uh, wiping out, even in places where there doesn't seem to be any human disturbance, you know, cloud forests of Costa Rica, you know, the golden toad was, became extinct Mm. because of the chytrid, presumably. Right. And it, it was pretty much a, a very pristine environment. Didn't it wasn't degraded by um, human development? Yeah, so. yeah. I know a couple species in in northeast Queensland and Australia went extinct as well. Right, relatively intact rainforest. Is that the gastric brooding frog? That I one? believe that's one. That of was them. one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there's a lot of pathogenic fungi, fungi yeah, out there also. And there's even one, I'll just end with this. Uh, we normally think of them as saprobes, but there are a few parasites like athlete's foot and the chytrid fungus on amphibian skin, but there is actually a predator. There's a fungal predator. You know, we think of uh, Venus flytraps as being a predatory plant. Mm-hmm. Well, there is actually a fungus that uh, in the soil... Not their fruiting body, but in the soil, they make a, a hypha that forms a noose. Wow. Literally a noose, a donut-shaped noose made of fungal hyphae. And 
It's a very tiny noose and uh, little soil nematodes, little roundworms, are small enough to, as they're wiggling through the soil, they, they might swim through the noose. And as soon as they do, the noose just tightens up due to osmotic uh, flux, you know, with water rushing into that noose part. Mm -hmm. And it expands the hyphal, that little hoop hyphal filament, and just kind of grips onto the little nematode, and it's wiggling uh, and can't get out. Wow. And then once it's got that worm trapped, it can do the extracellular digestion and uh, start releasing digestive enzymes. So we even have a, we have a predator. Cool. Uh, in the kingdom <laughs> fungi. So with that, you know, morbid note, <laughs> we can end it. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, Gordon, good chatting with you yep. about these fun guys. Yep. We'll see you next fungi time. Fungi from the fun guys. All, all right. right. See, we'll ya. see ya. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember, for all your homeschool science needs, go to noeoscience.com. That's N-O-E-O science.com.